0: Welcome everybody to Surprisingly Relatable, where we bring you fun and realistic pro tips, knowledge, and hacks you can use for real to build win-win relationships and make work-life balance a reality. My name is Holly Burby, and each week I'll share with you a thought, story, or self-awareness shortcut that will help you to get unstuck, reconnect to your significance and get focused and clear so you can relate to the people you care about the most. I truly believe that if we want to live a life of purpose and passion, it's time we put away the fake nicey-nice and get to the root of how we can actually connect with each other in our homes and communities. That is how we can all succeed and move toward what we each want most. So if you're ready to be surprisingly relatable, and evoke positive change that supports, uplifts, and inspires you and others in the world, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to Surprisingly Relatable. This is episode one and holy cow, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for being curious about what this pod what this message is going to be about Uh, today my intention is to share with you in this debut episode how relatability changed my life and i'm going to do my best not to make it entirely about me but i think for you to have a strong understanding of my come from who i am what i value what's important to me i think can give you more perspective And, of course, find that we may be surprisingly relatable to each other. And I'm going to touch base on that a little bit more as I continue here. The first thing I want to talk with you about in regards to this topic is when I was a kid growing up, I think it's safe to say that I had some tumultuous situations in my life where I generally did not like when other people didn't get along that's really what a lot of this is rooted in my parents divorced when I was three years old I have a younger brother and as a result of that and then over the years um, my dad remarried I was at my mom's house the majority of the time I didn't know my parents as a couple we didn't live in the same house to a point in my life where I remember anything. So it wasn't as if I was living with them and have recollection of them arguing or anything of that nature. However, when the divorce happened and I was in different places and my dad did remarry, what essentially happened was there was discomfort in a couple aspects. One Uh, Things were not kosher, let's just say, between my mom and my stepmom and therefore my mom and my dad. There were things that were said to me by all parties and I felt very stuck in the middle as a kid sometimes and I was being asked to shuttle messages to this household, from this household and clearly there were very strong opinions and there were lots of emotions and At the end of it, I didn't like how I felt in that. But what I didn't know then that I know now is I'm a pretty empathic person. I am an empath. And I not only feel my emotions and my feelings, but I feel them very deeply. And in addition to my own emotions, I also, as an empath, absorb and read very easily and experience and feel very easily what other people are feeling so that included my mother my dad my stepmom my brother so I was this kid walking around like a sponge and I had no idea that this was even a thing all I knew is that if anybody was displeased or unhappy or annoyed it made me feel uncomfortable The other point that I wanna make with this, in addition to you knowing that I am an empathic person, and I discovered later that's a gift, and again, I'll come back to that in a moment. What I mean by that is when we are growing up as young kids, our nervous system is still developing, and your body, (laughs) your body keeps the score. That's a great book. Your body has memory. And while all these things were happening around me where I was deeply feeling, my nervous system in its developmental stage became accustomed to a certain amount of tension, a certain amount of stress, a certain amount of uncomfortability. And as I got older, that became a baseline for me where I actually had a really high emotional tolerance for chaotic situations, times that felt stressful, times that felt unpredictable. And I don't think that that's necessarily, quote, the norm, but I think it's something that makes me unique as an individual, and maybe you relate. Maybe there's something, see, surprisingly relatable. Maybe there's something in your life where when you think back to how you grew up, It is a baseline that you may consistently discover that you are returning to as an adult. So with that, that's the bottom line that for all I'll get into for now with my childhood is relatability to me began as a kid because I just didn't like when people didn't get along. It felt very uncomfortable. It felt tense. It felt frustrating. And because I was shuttling messages back and forth, I felt obligated to do something about it. I felt like I was yes, put in the position to say certain things or feel a certain way about my family members, but (laughs) I also was put in a position where I felt obligated like I had to be the one to do something about it. And again, you may relate with this and not everyone is like this. You may not relate to what I just shared right now. Not everyone, even today as an adult, for example, I still have (laughs) discomfort when people don't get along. I feel a certain way about it. And you may look at conflict around you or when people have issues with each other and go, eh, they don't get along. I don't care. Not my problem, not my people, right? And I somehow, for whatever reason, feel differently about that. It's not a bad thing if we're different at all, but I want to acknowledge that I'm not sharing my experience to say that everyone should be this way because I acknowledge that it is something definitely unique about me. As I started growing up then, what this turned into, what this transitioned into, is I became an individual who was always seeking common ground. I loved watching people around me. I was consistently looking for similarities amongst people. So I would look at in an environment, in a room, or when I was at school or amongst me and my friends? How are people acting similarly? Uh, Do they share similar beliefs? Do they have similar opinions or express their opinions in the same way or in a very similar style? What are their mannerisms? How do they do stuff in general, even little actions, not just big, obvious actions? And as a result of Looking for similarities amongst people. I think my objective subconsciously was if I can find similarities between people, I can find a place where they can at least begin to relate to one another and then hopefully get along. See, that was always the prerequisite that was in my mind. Again, I didn't know this as a kid. But I think I was hardwired from my childhood, and then this transferred into when I became a high schooler, a college student, went into the career world um, as a public educator. And I think that desire to find common ground is something that still lives very heavily within me and my life today. I'm incredibly passionate about it, and here's the impact of finding common ground amongst people. I find that when I go into a situation and I'm looking for common ground amongst people, it requires a certain beingness from me. It requires and demands that I become the next level version of myself. It calls forth, it evokes the greatest version of me. So what that looks like is if I'm seeking these similarities with an intention to find common ground. I get to be really patient. (laughs) I get to be very patient with people. When I'm with people, I'm very present. I, over time, especially, and now as a professional certified coach, of course, I ask better questions. I come from a place of curiosity. And one of the things I've always stood by as a principle I live my life out of is I am Willing and open and ready to be wrong about how I see things. Not from a place of victimhood or I want people to try to shoot me down or argue with me, nothing like that. But rather, I think that is a way that I provide emotional safety. To people when I'm with them or when I'm present with them, I do my best to notice if I want to be righteous (laughs) or if I want my way to be the way. And I do my best to allow myself to be open to other situations, to have a willingness to be wrong, to understand that I might not know everything about this situation or about this topic. So it's the intention, that intention of seeking similarities and common ground comes from a place where again the the wisest part of me wants me to be patient with people to be curious with people to ask better questions of people to let go of any righteousness or prejudgment that i might have for the sake of ultimately finding a place where these people outside of me can connect with each other. And of course, where I personally can connect with them as well. So that intention is very powerful. And again, it demands a certain level of awareness, mindfulness, maturity, openness. And it wasn't always like this. (laughs) Clearly not at all. Again, my nervous system as a kid was wired to (laughs) dislike conflict so a lot of these strategies in the beginning were simply there because I needed everybody to calm down so that my body and my nervous system could calm down there was likely very selfish motive and a survival mechanism for many years of why I wanted people to get along just like get along so I feel better (laughs) But now in my professional life, as again, I I grew up, I became a public high school and middle school teacher for a decade, entered the world of personal and professional development, taught leadership trainings. When I started working with audiences, when I started working with large groups of people outside of myself and working with those same people one-on-one, that intention of why I seek similarity and common ground, again, became less about me and more about the vision of what I wanted to create in that environment for those students or what I wanted to create in that environment for um, my kids in the classroom, right? And Yeah, when the students in the classroom get along, did it make my nervous system feel better? Absolutely. I'm not going to lie about that. But I think there was a shift as I matured and became more mindful and self-aware. There was a shift in why I sought those things out. And it was less about for my personal comfort and more about because there's a vision for the world that I have that I think is practical and realistic um, where we can actually find common ground and get along and relate to each other and create what I'll call a win-win relationship. And instead of a win-win relationship or partnership or business life or home life, win-win doesn't mean one side won the battle or won the war. Win-win, most people will call that compromise. And even in compromise, some people still will have a perspective that compromise means that we are going to give one of the parties involved a little more win <laughs> than the other. But I think win-win, there's, there's more to it. I'll do a whole episode on what is a win-win relationship and what that even means and the difference between that and compromise. But at the end of the day, what I want you to know is how relatability changed my life is it went from something that was a survival mechanism so I could be comfortable to then becoming something that was a bigger mission outside of me to see other people find similarities find common ground and while we do that again because it evoked the wisest part of me more patient more peaceful more present curious open-minded I know that seeking this relatability with others in the world will, can do the same thing for you as it has for my clients and my students. So if you are in your life seeking ways to become a more curious, patient, present person, then surprise, (laughs) like surprisingly relatable, right? Um, you are in the right place. That is exactly what we're going to be doing here in this podcast and in this series. Now, I don't want this picture to be painted like it was all sunshine and roses because it was not. It's not that I had a childhood that was a certain way and that I became super mature and it's just been smooth sailing since then. You know, as you know, maybe or maybe not from every hero's journey, there's always a bump in the road where the hero realizes, oh man... (laughs) Uh, I'm doing something vastly wrong here and I want to touch on some points in my life where I really think the big permanent transformation began to happen and it has to do with the times and relationships in my life where I was really messing up. By the time I hit 30, I was in the public school classroom. I was a high school teacher. I was an athletic weightlifting coach to the girls team at the high school i was senior class and junior class sponsor and advisor i planned graduations i planned proms at the time when i was 30 i was married Um, and on the outside i was accomplished i was educated yes i recognized my life of privilege please hear me out when i say that i had a lot of things going for me had the marriage had the had the career knew my purpose, enjoyed what I did, sincerely enjoyed what I did. And as a public educator, I put all these things into place, right? This is where the passion started. I was seeing how my teenagers were getting along in my classroom year after year. I was seeking the similarity, seeking the common ground, everything I just shared with you about. And yes, it did make me a patient person, a more present person, a curious person, a better asker of questions, all the things I just mentioned. However, on the flip side in my personal life, it wasn't looking that way. It wasn't transferring to my personal life. It's almost like that evolution of me became something that I compartmentalized only in the classroom and in my career. I wasn't able to transfer it to my family. And as a result, in my marriage at the time, there were so many moments of uncomfortability, So many moments of stress or frustration. So many moments where I wanted to speak up and use my voice, but I didn't. And it goes back to that little kid nervous system, that nervous system wiring that I had of, I have a very high tolerance for discomfort. And so I stayed in that marriage for as long as I did uh, before I ended that. And what happened is, I just got good at settling into the discomfort and realizing this is just how it's supposed to be, right? It reminds me of that that meme where the little guy is sitting in a room and the room is on fire and all around him, and he sits there and goes, "This is fine," <laughs> right? like that was me in in that relationship. At the same time, I had massive conflict with my immediate family, with my mother and my brother. Um, of which I won't get into a lot of detail because I would want their permission first to do that. Um, But ultimately, I was not a very great daughter and I was definitely, definitely not a good sister um, to my brother in the sense of I was not the kind of woman I wanted to be. I was not as supportive toward my brother and my mother as say I was to my high schoolers every single day at work or even in my marriage. And it was really easy to say, well, it's because they live, you know, across, you know, they live up North and I live in the South and it's because of distance. It was very easy to, to just blame that and say that that was the reason. And I think at the end of it, I, I think deep down though, I knew that it was going to require uh, massive amounts of humility, apology, admitting that I had been wrong, admitting that I was being righteous. And at 30 years old, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to face that. I wasn't ready to hear the tough criticism. And so everything in my family was very much on the surface, very much on the surface. So how I shifted out of that is when my marriage ended, there came a point in time where I became a student in a a personal development program and a leadership training. It was four months. It absolutely rocked my life, changed my life in the best way possible. And I was never the same. I created, I found all these different tools and ways to navigate in relationships, including the ones that were not working, like in my immediate family. And because of the courage I learned in those workshops and the tools I was given and the tips and the tricks and the hacks in mindfulness and self-awareness and in communication and in different energies and in how I operate. Oh my goodness, I was finally ready to go have the tough conversations to say, you know what nervous system, I know you're afraid. I know you're frustrated. I know you don't want to (laughs) hear the feedback of what your family might say to you you could improve upon but it's time or your friends say you could improve upon or your employers say you could improve upon i was always a rock star as a teacher so i didn't really get anything that was negative as feedback as an educator but in my personal life it was a different world it almost felt like i was living two lives in a way my work life i was i was doing all the right things and in my home life i was disappointing a lot of people and i hated that feeling of incongruency that i experienced And so my intention, again, with this podcast, with Surprisingly Relatable, is to provide to you tips and tricks and tools and hacks related to your self-awareness, to your mindfulness, so that you can navigate anywhere in your life where you feel like you are living incongruently. So perhaps you relate to some part of my story. Maybe you feel like you're the best mom on the planet, but when you are working um, in your career or on a hobby you're really passionate about, you feel lackluster or you feel you're experiencing imposter syndrome. Maybe it's something just entirely different for you, but these tools, I can be here with you where we can look for similarities in each other. We can look for the common ground in each other. Even the ability to agree to disagree. When we find the common ground and we learn the tips and the tricks and the tools and the hacks that we can use to navigate these sticky situations, you will find that you will feel just as superstar amazing in one area of your life as you do in the other area of your life. And that's where personal power really starts to develop. When you know you are living your life through and through, morning, noon, night, regardless of who you're with, regardless of your circumstances, you have a strong idea of who you are, why you are significant, and what are the values and the principles that you live your life out of. So whether you're listening to this podcast, any of these episodes, because you know me or because you want to improve your relationships or because you want to um, understand people or because you want to be a better boss or a better employee or a better corporate executive leader, whatever your intention is in listening to this podcast, I want you to know that you get to be patient with yourself (laughs) and keep in mind that this is a journey. We're gonna be learning different things along the way. Some things will be game changers for you and some things you'll go, "Mm, I already knew that or I tried that and it, it wasn't really as effective for me and that's okay too. Keep coming back, keep learning, keep listening and you're gonna do great. I believe in you and you have this. So again, thank you for being here. Uh, In episode one of Surprisingly Relatable, I am touched. I am honored. And until next time, I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who's passionate about creating authentic relationships with people, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you'd help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, I'd super appreciate it if you'd take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until next time, show love always in always. And may you discover that we're all surprisingly relatable.